Postal Publishing, The Going Postal Cast, and Christopher Chapman present Incarceration, the serialized weekly podcast performed by the author, Christopher Chapman. For more information, visit www.goingpostalpublishing.com or email him at goingpostalpublishing at gmail.com. This podcast is not suitable for children. It has violence, gore, and lots and lots of naughty words. If you can't handle that, go somewhere else. And now, on with the story, or whatever other crap I decide to come up with. Chapter 25 It was unlike anything that Jason Rangel had ever expected. He'd always pictured prison to be one way, but could have never guessed that it would be anything like this. He'd always envisioned prison to be nothing more than a group of guys in white and black striped suits chiseling away at rocks with picks. That's the way television always had depicted it when he was growing up. How was he supposed to know that everything he'd seen about prison had been tame compared to what was now before him? The bus trip was like something out of a movie. Unlike the trip to the courthouse, he was no longer alone. When he got on the bus, escorted at gunpoint, there was another man already on the bus. He was told by the armed guard to take his seat and keep quiet. He was warned that if he talked, he would start his prison stay in the hole. He really didn't want to know what the hole was. He kept quiet as they drove south. At one point, Jason overheard one of the guards say, Next stop, prison. His breathing slowed and his heart quickened. His nervousness took on a whole new meaning as the realization that his new life in prison was about to begin. Up to this point, he had no idea which prison he was being sent to. Even though he'd lived his entire life in Wisconsin, he had no idea of the existence of any prisons other than the one near Oshkosh that he'd seen while on a trip with his parents. He was well aware that there had to be more prisons than just in Oshkosh. For the life of him, he had no idea where any of them were. When they got back out on a Highway 41, he became certain that they were heading to Oshkosh. Imagine that. The one prison I know, and I'm going to be a resident of it. It turned out that he was wrong. Dead wrong. The bus turned off onto Highway 43, going around Green Bay rather than through it. They detoured off 43 and took many routes. He lost track of where they were, as he'd never been in this part of the state before. Then, just when he thought that the guards were taking him to Lake Michigan to drown him, they came to a sign welcoming them to the town of Stangleville. Stangleville? Where in the hell is Stangleville? The bus moved slowly through Stangleville. Once they had completely moved through the small town, the bus turned down an old dirt road that he swore wasn't a real road. Jason stared out the window as the trees seemed to get thicker on both sides of the bus. A yellow road sign reading, Dead End Ahead, passed by. Yet the bus continued picking up speed. Jason sat up in his seat. Fear setting in, He looked out the front window. A line of thick shrubs came into view, marking the end of the line. The bus wasn't turning, or even slowing. They were heading directly into the overgrowth. Jason closed his eyes, expecting the bus to hit a tree at any second. He grimaced as the sound of brush scraping against the side of the bus filled his ears. He opened his eyes, expecting to see nothing but dense forest all around them. He was surprised to find the bus on an old logging road. It hadn't been a dead end after all. The road continued. 
An old russet sign came into view on their right. He read the sign, a sick feeling gripping his stomach as he did. Lipsky Swamp State Prison. Less than a minute later, the bus pulled up to a large metal gate. Jason looked out the window, trying to get a good view of his new home. What he saw stopped his breath. The gate was much larger than the bus and was constructed of solid steel. Solid walls, covered in barbed wire, surrounded a large yard. Four large towers were visible, even from the gate. They towered high above the prison, giving armed guards the perfect opportunity to gun down anybody who dared attempt an escape. The prison was densely covered with tall trees with thick branches and leaves. The prison would be hard to spot from the air, which made Jason nervous. He thought that prisons liked to be in the open in the event of an escape. They obviously weren't too worried about that here. The gate opened slowly. The bus moved forward, entering the prison. Jason looked around once more, seeing more and more of what awaited him. There were three large yards, each separated with large amounts of barbed wire. Just looking at the barbed wire made his skin hurt. One thing was certain. Escaping from here was going to be literally impossible. The bus continued forward, following a gravel road to a large set of garage doors. The bus slowed just as the garage door started upward, opening like a large mouth getting ready to swallow its food. They were the food about to be eaten. The bus entered through the garage doors. The doors slowly closed behind them, surrounding them in darkness. Jason had to wait a few moments for his eyes to adjust. The bus stopped at a door. Two armed guards came out to the bus from through those doors. Each one carried a semi-automatic weapon, designed to take down large numbers if necessary. Jason hoped that nobody tried escaping. He didn't want to become a casualty because of somebody else's stupidity. One of the guards entered the bus and spoke to them. Welcome to Lipsky Swamp, your new home, a guard with a raspy voice said. I want you to do exactly as I or any of the other men with semi-automatic weapons tell you to do. If you try to escape, we will shoot you. If you become hostile, we will kill you. If there are any questions, I suggest you keep them to yourselves. He paused, looking back out of the bus. You will be unlocked at this time. I want you to follow me. Another guard, this one had been the one that had locked him to his seat, came around with a set of keys. One by one, he unlocked the chains that held them to the bus floor and instead hooked their wrists to the chains that held their ankles together. They were then escorted down the aisle and out of the bus where they were met by two guards with weapons. When they were off the bus, they were taken through the doors and into the main body of the prison. At this point, they were asked to form a line with a group of the other prisoners. One of the armed guards stayed out, making sure that nobody made any unwise moves, while the other entered a small room. One by one, they were asked to enter the room. Jason didn't know what was going on in the room, but he would soon find out. His turn came less than ten minutes after the first had entered the room. The prisoner who had entered had not returned. Jason entered the room to find the guard with the semi-automatic, as well as two other guards. One approached him and unlocked his cuffs. All of his chains were removed, leaving his arms and legs free to move. It felt good to be free from them. Take off your clothes, the guard said as he placed all of the chains and cuffs onto a small table with another set of chains. Jason did as he was asked, removing all of his clothes. The room felt cool and damp against his naked skin. 
He used his hands to cover his penis and testicles. Guy, you're in prison with more than 200 other men, the guard said. You actually think that covering yourself is going to stop any of these other guys from sneaking a look? Get over yourself. You're nothing special anyway. Jason removed his hands slowly as the guard grabbed a clipboard containing dozens of sheets of paper. He fingered through the sheets, looking for something. When he found what he was looking for, he spoke. It says here that you're Jason Rangel, the guard said. It came as a statement, not as a question. You're the one that killed all them people up north. Jason didn't answer him. He saw no need to admit anything to this guy, seeing as there was nothing to admit. He was just a bastard trying to get a rise out of him. Maybe I should be giving you special treatment, the guard said. Around here, you're famous. Tell you what, when I check your ass for contraband, I'll make sure I use a little extra special care. He put on a rubber glove. Jason stood silently, refusing to let this man push his buttons. If these men knew who he was, then they likely knew about his temper and how to get him to break. He had to use all of his concentration to not argue with this man as he started checking him over. Lift your arms, the guard instructed. Jason reluctantly did as he was told. The guard proceeded to look under both arms. Lift your feet. Jason lifted his left foot, then his right. Turn around. He did that as well. Place your hands against the table and spread your legs. This he had a problem with. He stood his ground, refusing to budge. Apparently somebody didn't get all of the instructions when he got off the bus. I suggest you turn around, unless you want to spend your first two weeks in the hole. Or worse. Jason thought the threat over for a second. He didn't want to go to the hole for one reason. It sounded dark. He still hadn't gotten over his fear of the dark since his parents died. It wasn't about to get two weeks of constant darkness. He feared that the hole would finally be what broke his sanity. He also didn't want to know what worse meant. He turned around and spread his legs. He closed his eyes and tried to think about something other than what was about to happen to him. He tried to think about his parents and how nice it would be if they were still alive. All that did was bring him a little extra anger for the fact that he had been found guilty of their murders. He pushed that from his mind as he felt something, a finger, enter his ass. He bit down on his lip, feeling as uncomfortable as he'd ever been in his entire life. Then, as quickly as it had started, it was over. He opened his eyes. See? The guard said. I popped your cherry without so much as a scratch. Things go much easier when you do what you're told. Turn around. Jason turned as a pile of orange clothes was tossed his way. He caught them. Put one of these on. They have your prisoner number stamped on them. This will be who you are from now on. You are no longer Jason Wrangle. You are prisoner 2579876. Are there any questions? Jason said nothing as he put on the clothes. Good. I'm glad that we understand each other. Fully clothed, Jason was taken out of the room through the rear door as another prisoner was called in. He realized that he was walking funny, having been violated by the guard. He felt somewhat thankful that it hadn't been the rape scene that Dave had predicted when he last talked to him. Dave. There was one name he hoped to never have to think about again. 
After what he did to him at the trial, he hoped that something bad would happen to him. No. He took that back. Jason was full aware of what something bad was and didn't wish it upon anyone. What he wanted was to get him alone. Then he could make what happened to Nathan Paulson seem like a walk in the park. Sure, Dave was bigger than he was, but that didn't matter. He'd feel better the second that his fist struck Dave's jaw. If his jaw snapped, well, that was even better. With all of his thoughts about Dave, he'd lost track of what was happening around him. He looked back and no longer saw the door that he'd gone through. Another guard was escorting him. He didn't carry a semi-automatic, but did have a billy club, as well as a 9mm pistol in a holster at his side. He was no longer sure of where he was. They'd taken several twists and turns since leaving the room. Each corridor looked the same, surrounded by brick and steel doors. They came to another set of steel doors and stopped. There was a glass window to their right. The guard looked in there, and then the door in front of them slowly opened. Welcome to your new home, the guard said as he motioned for Jason to step through. Jason took two steps forward before the noise hit him. The voices of hundreds of men hit his ears all at once. He looked up, staring at what lie before him. He was in the largest room he'd ever seen. He imagined that this was what an airport hangar would look like. Three stories tall and over a hundred yards long, metal walkways on both sides. This was something out of a nightmare. Old-fashioned steel steps led up to each of the levels, each level protected with large metallic steel rails. Jason was escorted to the right and up to the second floor. They moved down the corridor about halfway, passing prisoners upon prisoners. He saw that most of the cells had two prisoners inside. Many of them were giving him their warmest greetings. A large black man with bulging muscles yelled that he was going to make Jason his bitch. The idea didn't seem all that tempting. They stopped in front of the cell with the number 255 stamped to the right of it. The guard lifted his radio and spoke into it. With all the noise, Jason couldn't make out what he'd said. The door slid open. A push from behind forced Jason inside. He turned, hoping to plead his case to the guard, but the door was already three-quarters of the way closed. He couldn't see the guard anymore. That CEO gave you the royal treatment, a voice said from behind him. He turned to see a small white man with a buzz cut and glasses. He couldn't have been more than three years older than Jason. When I got here, I received a form to the back of my neck as a welcoming gift. What's a CO? Jason asked. Correctional officer, the man said. That's what they call themselves. Must make them feel important. He stood and walked to Jason. Hi, I'm Rick Carlson, two-year veteran of this place. Welcome to hell. Jason Wrangle, he said, extending his hand. He was surprised when Rick shook his hand. Jason Wrangle, man, I can't believe that you're going to be my roommate, Rick said. We know all about you. You're big news around here. Jason wasn't surprised. This was already the second time that somebody here had known who he was. He couldn't believe that he was so widely known. Man, I should have known that you were going to wind up here, Rick said. What do you mean by that? Jason asked. Rick looked at him for a moment, as if he were studying him. You really don't know? Rick asked, chuckling. You are in the Lipsky Swamp State Prison. Rick stared at him as if that was supposed to mean something. Yeah, so? 
Lipsky Swamp is where Wisconsin sends the criminals that they want to just disappear. Nobody knows about this prison. It doesn't appear on any state registry or map. Did you happen to see all the trees surrounding the place as you rode in? He saw, right? The place is surrounded by forest on all sides, Rick continued. I don't think that the town knows that it's here. It's a secret that they don't want anybody to know about. Here, there are no rules. The COs can get away with murder if they want. You'll just disappear. It'll be like you never existed. Rick went to the bunks and dropped onto the lower bunk. He chuckled, then turned away from him. Jason looked at the room. Other than the bunks, there was only a toilet and a small sink. The room was small, maybe eight feet across and ten feet deep. There wasn't a lot of room for maneuvering. He climbed onto the upper bunk and lied down. He was exhausted. He wasn't really tired, but his mind felt as if it had been running a marathon. All of the changes in his life, as well as his wondering how he was going to get out of this, had left him mentally drained. He felt drowsy, but he didn't think he could fall asleep. How could he sleep when the man that had killed his parents was still out there? It didn't matter. He had to sleep sometime. While Jason Rangel was falling asleep in prison, someone or something else also slept. The man, monster, that killed Jason's parents slept, waiting for the opportunity to hunt once more. He'd gotten away with it yet again. This was how it worked. He went from town to town, killing for food and pleasure. In the end, somebody always took the heat. When that happened, he moved on. It didn't pay to keep killing when somebody was taking the fall. This time had been different. He had been interfered with before he'd finished. Niagara was supposed to be the final stop. It hadn't gone as planned. Now he hid, but not in Houghton like Randy Thompson thought. No, Houghton was a thing of the past. He'd grown bored with that town and moved on despite nobody being arrested for the crimes. He'd toyed with Thompson, making him believe that he were still there. Sometimes, this could be so much fun. Now he was in a new place, and tonight was going to be his first chance to hunt, to kill. And there was nothing that anybody could do about it. He was growing stronger, so much stronger, and soon nobody would be able to get in his way. He felt disappointment in the way the Wrangle killings went down. The boy wasn't the one that was supposed to take the fall. He was supposed to die. The boy had been extremely lucky. That had never happened before, nor would it ever happen again. Jason Wrangle was going to be in prison for the rest of his life. Too bad he didn't understand that the rest of his life wouldn't be 70 or 80 years. No, he wouldn't give Wrangle the opportunity to live that long. Someday he's going to pay him a visit and finish a job he started. He has the time to do it. He has nothing but time. Chapter 26 16 years was a long time to be away from the house. But here he was again. Jason Wrangle had returned home. He stared at the house, standing as it always had. He couldn't believe how nothing on it had changed in 16 years, not even the paint job. The windows were all dark as the sun went down behind him. Night was coming. Jason looked for some place to hide. He didn't want to be out in the dark. That's when bad things happened. 
a light flickered to life from inside the house. He stared at the light as it called to him like a beacon. It was coming from his parents' room. He raced to the door, swinging the doors open quickly. He turned left, racing up the flight of stairs two at a time. He moved down the hallway to the closed door at the end of the hall. He took a deep breath, reaching out for the door handle. It felt so cold in his hands. He twisted the knob and heard the click as the door opened. It swung inward, unveiling the bedroom that his mother and father had died in. He slowly entered, not knowing what to expect. He looked towards the bed, hoping to see something familiar. Yes, they were there. Two lumps were formed under a white sheet. His parents were under that sheet, hiding in the night, just as he always had. They were alive. Feeling his emotions swell up inside him, he raced to the bed and threw back the sheet. When he saw what was underneath, he screamed. Jason Rangel opened his eyes, breaking the dream. What he saw was very familiar. So familiar that it was the same sight he'd seen every day for nearly 16 years. Small room, brick wall, and a dirty toilet. It was all the same. Nothing changed around here. Even his roommate was the same, albeit much older than when he'd first arrived. He took a deep breath, relieved to be out of the dream. This wasn't the first time he'd had that, or a similar dream. He'd had the dream so many times that he thought he would have been used to it by now. That wasn't the case. Each and every time he'd had the dream had left him the exact same way, sweaty with a racing heart. Jason sat on the end of the bed, running his hands through his hair. He stared ahead at the wall as the light started to fade. Good. I woke up in time. Despite the amount of time that had passed, one thing remained the same for Jason. He still didn't sleep at night. Prison had become a great place for him for one reason. It was always light out. Lights in the corridors always gave Jason some light, even in the middle of the night. He didn't sleep at night because that's when he knew the killer would come to finish the job. For the past 15 years, he'd slept during the day so he'd be awake at night. In the entire 16 years, he'd never had more than two hours of sleep during any given night. He was always very careful to make sure he got enough sleep during the day, ensuring that he would be tired when night came. Rick had thought he was strange at first. After a while, he hadn't minded so much. He'd gotten used to it and passed it off as one of Jason's quirks. Jason looked down at his left arm and the tattoo that looked back up at him. It was a crude design, but it was something he looked at every day. It was a rough drawing of the man, Monster, that murdered his parents. Because of the unique way the monster had looked, Jason had learned to do his own tattoos, something that was easier said than done in prison. When Jason entered prison, he was oblivious to what real prison was all about. He had no idea how resourceful these men could be. For instance, he would have never thought in a million years that you could make a tattoo gun using little more than the motor from a tape deck. He'd had to be very careful. COs were always on the lookout for inmates that were using their tape decks for this purpose. If you were caught, that meant time in the hole. Even if a CO found that the motor was missing from within your radio, that meant time in the hole. Sixteen years after first being introduced to prison life, he'd somehow avoided that punishment. 
As well as his custom tattoo gun, he also learned all the different ways he could kill other inmates. He found out how he could turn plastic bags into a knife. That was an interesting story. He also found out how using a hollow pen to stab a man was particularly useful because the pen prevented the blood from clotting. One thing he'd learned in regards to protection from attack was strapping magazines around your body. Those came in handy when getting into a fight. He'd only been in one fight in 15 years, and magazines saved his life. He was in the yard when it happened. Being in the yard was rare for him. He used the day, especially yard time, to get some extra sleep. He'd wrapped himself in the magazines just in case. His instincts turned out to be life-saving. Fifteen minutes into yard time, he looked down and saw the shadow of a man approaching from behind. His heart raced and his breathing quickened when he suspected what was coming. He turned in time to see a large blonde man extend his hand. He felt a strange pressure in his stomach. He moved back, moving his hands over something that was extending from his abdomen. He dropped to the ground, trying desperately to relieve the pressure. His hands pinched at the small metallic object, but couldn't gain purchase. Stupid son of a bitch, the blonde man said, making it sound like one word. What'd you do with those bodies? Did you fuck them? He was now standing over Jason, his face less than five inches away. Now you're gonna die. A CO approached, removing the blonde man from the scene. He dropped to one knee and started working at Jason's shirt. He ripped the shirt open, exposing a stomach loaded with copies of People magazine as well as issues of Sports Illustrated. The end of a spork stuck out of a picture of Mel Gibson. Blood had started to appear out of the puncture. The CO, a man named Gill, ripped the magazines away until there was nothing but the Mel Gibson and the spork. Get it out, Jason yelled through clenched teeth, pleading with Gill. I don't want to die, not this way. I should get you to a medic, Gill said. No, Jason said, do it now. Gill looked around for somebody. When he didn't see who or what he was looking for, he reached down and grabbed hold of the spork. He pulled at it. Jason screamed as the spork slid out of his stomach. The Mel Gibson magazine was tossed aside, showing a stomach that had a small puncture wound in it. The spork had been modified. Somebody, likely Blondie, had melted the ends, turning it into more of a knife than a spork. You're damn lucky, Gil said. It went in about a half inch, a couple stitches and you should be good as new. He never got those stitches, but luckily it turned out to be fine. If it hadn't been for his protective magazines, there was no telling how much damage the modified spork would have done. He'd always thought that it would have likely ruptured his stomach, spilling stomach acid into his intestines and kill him slowly. That hadn't been the case, and as it turned out, he was fine. The blonde attacker spent significant time in the hole for his actions, and Jason reaffirmed his belief in sleeping through the day so he could stay up through the night. A magazine saving his life was amazing every time he thought about it. How many people can say that a magazine saved their lives? He didn't know the answer, but outside of prison, he didn't think that it happened a whole hell of a lot. That made him think of what Rick had said on that first day. He'd said how there were no rules here that most people didn't even know where here was. That was completely true. In the last 16 years, he'd witnessed the CO killing an inmate on 13 separate occasions, either in self-defense or because the inmate had it coming for one reason or another, and those are only the ones he'd seen. 
Each of those CEOs was still working today. As far as people knowing about it, not many did. He'd had one visitor in 15 years, and to this day he is unsure if she had been driven here by somebody looking to keep the place secret. The bottom line was that Rick was 100% right. People didn't visit the inmates here. Even Rick hadn't had more than one visitor in the time they'd known each other. Jason honestly believed that each inmate was given one visitor for every decade or so. The visitors would need to fill out an application, be drugged, and driven to the secret location where they would visit and start the process all over again. He seriously doubted if he'd ever see another visitor. It had already been over 15 years since his last, and he doubted that she would ever think about making a return trip. That visit ended very badly for both of them. He understood why she would never want to see him again. He shook away the cobwebs of his inner mind as the last of the light drifted away from the day. He got up and walked to the toilet and sink. He did his business in the toilet, then washed himself in the sink. He looked at himself in the reflection the water gave and no longer liked what he saw. The Jason Wrangle that had been alive 15 years ago was dead. What he saw in the reflection was somebody else. He had changed a lot in the nearly 16 years. For one thing, he hadn't had an anger flare-up in over a decade and had managed to keep that last one rather mild. Anger aside, he didn't really look like he used to. No longer did he keep his hair trimmed and washed. Now his hair ran down past his shoulders and gave a shine that only a lack of wash could bring. He did wash his hair, but usually only once a week. The same went for bathing. The less time he could spend in the showers, the better. Larger, more muscular ones had replaced the average arms that had helped beat Nathan Paulson down, sending him to the hospital. One of the few things he took pride in was the added strength he'd given himself. At first, he did it for self-defense, in case somebody tried to fight him in the yard. After a few years went by, he did it for one other reason, in case he ever got out. He wanted to be stronger in case he was ever able to see the outside of the prison again. He wanted to make sure that if he ever got out, he would physically be ready to defend himself if he ever came face to face with that monster. That was one of the things that had really changed for him over the years. His recollection of what happened on the night his parents died had become a foggy haze. There were many times that he had to remind himself that he hadn't killed his mother and father, and even more often he had to concentrate to remember what the killer had looked like. That's why he'd given himself the tattoo. It was the one thing that reminded him of the fading truth. He moved to the window and looked outside. His window was small, one foot by one foot. Steel bars ran up and down every two inches, making escape through the small space impossible. He came to the window every now and then. Looking out into the yard at night was something he did to pass the time. He wanted to be awake at night. He just didn't have anything he could do. Reading was out of the question. The little bit of light he had made reading text next to impossible. After that, there was almost nothing else to do while locked in the cell. He'd heard of some prisons allowing you to buy a television. Not here. He had a radio, but no headphones to listen to while Rick slept. All he had was looking out the window. The interesting thing about watching the yard at night was how the lights from the guard tower swarmed across the yard, searching every possible inch for possible escapees. He stared out at the lights, watching as they revealed grass, grass, and more grass. There was never anything spectacular to see out there, but he did it anyways. The lights swirled, 
coming together and moving apart. They moved in a circular fashion, and they moved in a straight line. There really was no pattern to it. He felt as if he'd drive himself mad trying to find the pattern. He was about to give up watching for a little while when something caught his eye. He looked out into the darkness, waiting for the lights to return to the spot he'd been looking at. Had he seen something? He doubted it. He'd never seen anything out there before. Why would now be any different? The lights came back around to the spot, unveiling a man. Jason blinked and then found that he couldn't stop staring. His eyes locked on the figure before him. It was familiar, yet it was foreign. The figure stood tall with flowing long hair that was greasy and ratty. His face was old, but hadn't aged in the 16 years since the last time he'd seen it. It was the man, Monster, who murdered his parents. Oh, shit, Jason said, not loud enough to stir Rick. He couldn't stop looking. The light had already moved on, casting the area in darkness once again. Had somebody in the tower seen him? How could they have missed him? They saw everything. The light would be back on that spot within seconds, especially if somebody had seen something. The light moved back. He saw nothing. He was gone, if he'd been there at all. Jason moved away from the window. Something wasn't right. Had he seen what he thought he'd seen? No, that was impossible. This prison was like a fortress. He'd seen firsthand how difficult it would have been for anyone to break out or into this place when he first arrived 16 years ago. Things had become even more secure since then. At least, that's what he'd been told by several other inmates. Apparently, they now had a device that could view infrared and heat signatures in the yard and the surrounding areas. He wasn't exactly sure how that worked, but he knew that it was top-notch. There were also the electric fences. He went back to the window, sure that he'd seen something. He stared back into the darkness, but still didn't see anything but grass. It was all just a figment of his imagination. He supposed that he was creating undue stress for himself. The 16th anniversary of the murders was a little over two months away. Each year as the anniversary approached, he found himself regretting everything that had happened, especially the fight he'd had with his mother and father right before they died. That had to be it. That was why he'd seen what he saw. He moved back away from the window, intending not to look out the window anymore that night. He decided that he was going to stay in his bed. He wouldn't go to sleep. Sleep was out of the question. After what he thought he'd seen, he could never sleep in the dark. He was going to stay awake, making sure that he could see him if he came to get him. Maybe he was already here. He really had seen him out there, and tonight was the night. He would stay up the rest of the night and make sure that it wasn't. If it were the night, he'd be waiting. Listening to the Going Postal Cast. For updates about Christopher Chapman, his stories, and future podcast happenings, be sure to go to goingpostalpublishing.com. If you want to follow along on Twitter, twitter.com slash goingpostalpub, or like him at facebook.com slash goingpostalpublishing. This podcast is copyright 2012 Going Postal Publishing.